From the Financial Times in London, I'm Katie Martin and this is News in Focus, where we offer our insights into the stories that matter. French car maker PSA, which owns Peugeot, and Fiat Chrysler Automobiles, its Italian-American rival, have agreed to pursue a merger that would create the world's fourth largest car maker and reshape the automotive sector. I'm here with our motor industry correspondent Peter Campbell and we're joined down the line by David Kehan in Paris to discuss the merger. Hi guys. So Peter, tell us first why these super mergers are being considered at the moment. What's the rationale behind them and what's the most notable recent mergers in the sector? So car makers are facing stresses from a lot of different direction at the moment. They're facing falling sales and they're facing the need to invest in some quite expensive new technologies, electric cars, which they need to sell to hit their CO2 targets across Europe and China, as well as driverless vehicles and other such technologies they're looking at. Now, all of these things cost money and it makes very little sense for all of the world's car makers independently to spend the billions and billions that they need to develop this technology. It's much more sensible for them to tie up. A great proponent of this theory was Sergio Marchioni, the late former chief executive of Fiat Chrysler, who obviously oversaw the merger between Fiat and Chrysler itself, who said that car makers need to tie up in order to avoid duplicating all this massive spending that they have to make. It's just too much cash they need to splash, right? So what are the relative strengths of the Fiat group compared to Peugeot? So both companies are incredibly complementary geographically. Peugeot exists almost entirely in Europe. It has some stuff outside Europe, but it's very, very strong in Europe. Fiat Chrysler, despite being called Fiat, is in fact predominantly a North American organization. Almost all of its profits come from selling pickup trucks and very large SUVs in the North American region. It owns the Ram heavy truck brand. It owns Jeep globally. It owns Alfa Romeo and Maserati. And so for these companies, they complement each other geographically. And what PSA has shown with its takeover of Opel, which owns Vauxhall, in the last few years is that this is a company that can manage scale in European mass manufacturing. So it already owns a number of volume brands in Europe. It already owns Peugeot, it owns Citroën, it owns Opel, it owns Vauxhall. You would add to that fiat if this merger went ahead. And they've already shown that they can make these efficiencies of scale work within a single region within Europe, which would be an advantage. But PSA really, although it's had an incredible run and it's very profitable, its growth has sort of come to an end. It really needs to try and push into North America, which it has plans to do under its own steam. And it really needs a serious premium nameplate. And merging with Fiat Chrysler, which is very strong in North America and has Alfa Romeo, Maserati and Jeep, brings it that. I see. So David, John Elkan, who's the scion of Italy's Agnelli family, is the Italian billionaire behind Exor, which controls Fiat Chrysler. And he's also the brains behind the proposed merger. But his attempt to do a similar deal with Renault earlier this year failed. You know, there's plenty of examples of failure here. What happened there? Why did that go wrong? It depends on whom you ask, really. FCA had been in parallel talks with Renault and Peugeot for quite a while, but particularly since the start of the year. What people have told us is that the whole time they were in these talks, they actually wanted Renault. That was their number one target. But FCA didn't know that. So around May... The news was given to the Persia family in particular and Persia more generally that they were going to go at Renault. All very nice, all very good. The only problem from FCA's point of view is that across the table from them, Renault's largest shareholder was the French state. You might know that Renault has found itself in a particular situation with its Japanese partner, Nissan. And what the French state said was that in order for the merger to go ahead, they wanted the explicit consent agreement approval of Nissan in Japan. They walked away. It was like 10 days. The whole thing collapsed. It was a drama. 
the French state gets blamed by some sides. If you talk to the French state on background, they say maybe the deal wasn't as good for Renault as it could have been. They're acting as a normal shareholder. But either way, John Elkan saw the French state, didn't like what it was doing, walked away dramatically. And that leads us to PSA. So would Peugeot's Carlos Tavares prove to be a better partner, do you think? It depends. I mean, I would cautiously say yes. Tavares is a big personality, big CEO. So what Elkan is buying in is a guy who's not going to take a backseat in any way. He's going to be a CEO in charge driving strategy and Elkan will be a classic chairman, you'd imagine. It's kind of a return to the Marchionne style relationship he had before. Maybe it was something we didn't think he was totally on board with and part of the reason he went for Renault. But where the Peugeot is definitely a nicer fit for FCA is that the French state is far less hands-on with this company. It has a shareholding, but in Renault, you could say that the French state is more like a family shareholder, huge emotional ties. It's the largest shareholder as well. In Peugeot, it's a much more traditional shareholder where it doesn't have blocking stakes. It's the joint largest shareholder with both the Peugeot family and China's Dong Feng. So you can see why it might prove to be a better partner. Yes. So I noticed that our Lex pages describe Mr. Tavares as quadrilingual. I mean, what kind of big personality is he? What kind of figure does he cut in the car industry globally? So Tavares is renowned as one of the most capable executives across the automotive industry. If you look at his track record, his performance, he came into Peugeot when they were almost bankrupt. He oversaw a huge turnaround at the company. They then bought Opel. This was a company that General Motors couldn't make money out of for 20 years. They turned that around in very short order. And yet at the same time, he doesn't have the gigantic room-filling ego of some of the other executives in the auto industry who would be more akin to a traveling head of state when they went overseas. Tavares, who is a cost cutter to the core, when he comes to the UK to visit the Vauxhall plant at Luton, he flies into Luton on EasyJet and buys his sandwiches in the corner shop before getting in a taxi to go over to the plant. He knows better than to eat on EasyJet then. Well, that's possibly one explanation. But it's also true that he really has a way of identifying with the ground level workforce as well as the executives and saying, guys, you are the team here. It is up to you to deliver this turnaround plan that has to go ahead. And he's been quite good, actually, particularly in the Opel turnaround, of avoiding plant closures. Now, everybody thought when he bought Opel they were going to have to shut factories. And he said, we're going to do this plan without shutting factories. And they broadly managed that. And what we expect from the FCA deal, if it goes ahead, is that they're going to make a commitment not to close any of either company's plants as a result of the turnaround, as a result of trying to make savings here. And so Tavares is seen at least at the highest levels of most capable automotive executives at the moment, and by some people is ranked as the best globally anywhere. Interesting. So, I mean, David, how's he viewed in sort of corporate France, if you like? Well, the problem we have with Tavares as journalists is there's not enough bad stuff to say about him. It's a genuine issue. Now, he's considered in France and Paris to be one of the best. I mean, one of the reasons the French government are supporting this is because Tavares is there. He's seen as being a safe pair of hands. He's seen as having done a really great turnaround with Peugeot. And he's seen as someone that they can trust in putting together this merger. That's right. But he has this cultural dexterity that allows him to associate with workers in different countries. So when he bought Opel, everyone was naturally worried at Opel. They were all about to get fired. But he walks into the headquarters at Opel in Germany. All the staff of Opel are assembled there, and his opening lines to them are in German. Now, he doesn't speak German, but he'd learned some opening lines in German and was greeted with a big round of applause, but also with a sense in the room that this was a guy who was on their side. 
It makes a big difference, right? Okay, so personalities aside, let's talk about some of the numbers here. What are the terms of the proposed deal, David? I mean, where would the merge group be based for a start? Well, that's a very good question, one that we don't really know the answer to yet. The idea is multiple operation headquarters as it stands. But just very quickly, so it's a 50-50 all-stock merger, and there's going to be special dividends and payouts on either side to equalize the values. But analysts are suggesting that this looks like PSA buying FCA. And part of the reason you can say that is the construction of the board, which I remember correctly is 11 people, five each plus Tavares. So the governance is tilted towards Paris. We will be watching to see where the operation headquarters is really based, where Tavares sits, even if I think, and Peter, you might jump in here as well, FCA, they're used to operating out of multiple countries in a way that maybe won't create tensions. Well, this brings us very nicely onto the cultures of both companies. So FCA was a company that was born out of this merger between Fiat and Chrysler. And as such, it has a headquarters in London, but a major office in Turin and a major office in Auburn Hills, where Chrysler's based. And whereas many car companies are deeply rooted in the national culture, these guys genuinely feel multinational and they genuinely feel more global. And they've actually culturally made a merger work, which historically in the car industry is quite difficult to do, right? We saw Daimler Chrysler fall apart. We saw Ford not really gel with any of the premium brands it owned, Volvo, Jaguar, Aston Martin, etc. And at the same time, you've got PSA, which also is culturally quite an international fit because it has a British brand in Vauxhall. It has a German brand in Opel. And again, it's made an automotive merger work in recent history. And so one of the biggest barriers to auto mergers is cultural, and it always is, and it's the factions between different rival governments wanting a place at the table. And so the fact that you've got two companies that are sort of more globally cultural and have recently made big, complex, multi-country auto mergers work does bode quite well for these two companies being able to culturally fit together, which is a huge hurdle and obviously not a financial one, but a key one that really needs to be overcome for any automotive merger to work. Now, do we think that, assuming this goes through, do you think there will be cost-cutting this time? We've spoken about how Mr Tavares has avoided this in the past, but do we think an axe will fall this time around? They've talked about savings of, I think, 3.7 billion euros, which they're going to try and realise 80% of those within the first couple of years of the deal going through. Now, they haven't broken out exactly where that comes from. They've said it's not going to be plant closures. If you look at PSA during Opal takeover, they managed to save a lot of money by shortening labour hours and doing various things around the way they utilise space in the factory floor. But a big chunk of the savings and a big rationale for the deal in the whole is, as we said at the start, to avoid duplicating investment costs. So it'll be avoided investment costs into electrification and avoided investment costs, not just into electrification and autonomy, but also into individual platforms that you build a car on. They'll merge those together. They'll get huge potential savings out of purchasing all their components together, all kind of classic industrial merger synergies. I mean, David, is that message sticking in France? I don't think this merger would have been given the green light or been greeted with such political approval as it has been so far if it hadn't been for guarantees about jobs. And I think that's true in Italy as well. I don't think they're going to be closing plants. I just don't think it's politically tenable. As Peter says, where they're going to be finding the savings is in R&D production, those kind of things. So, Peter, if you're a betting man, do you think the merger will go ahead? And if it is, who then are the biggest rivals to the merged group? Well, all the mood music so far is overwhelmingly positive. The fact the French government seemed to be behaving better than they did last time, although that's not a terribly high bar bodes well for the whole thing going through. Now, what we're expecting is that within the next sort of two, three, four weeks, we'll get a memorandum of understanding. 
between the two companies. That will set out potentially more details about synergies, potentially more details about management structure and various other things, maybe even headquarters details. Then obviously the whole thing has to go to shareholders of both companies who have to approve them. It's quite difficult to see them derailing that. And then obviously it has to go through various other regulatory hurdles. They also have to deal with antitrust issues. So this will be the largest car maker in Europe. It'll be bigger than Volkswagen. Their market share in some countries such as France and Italy will be very high. So they may have issues with that, but no one seriously thinks that's going to derail the deal. So assuming everything goes smoothly, you could see it close within, say, nine months, potentially to a year. You know, there's always a bit of leeway with these things either side. And then obviously they will be the fourth largest in the world behind Renault and Nissan, if you're treating those companies as one. That's a whole other podcast. But also Volkswagen, Toyota and Renault, Nissan, those three make 10 million cars a year. These guys will make eight and a half million cars a year. That puts them slightly ahead of General Motors, who make about eight. But they will be easily within the global top five. Well, this is going to keep you busy for the next year or so. Thanks, Peter. And thanks, David. And thank you all for listening. Don't forget that if you missed our latest episodes on how to curb our addiction to plastic, the latest Harvey Weinstein accuser, or what the UK general election means for Brexit, then you can subscribe and listen on all the usual podcast platforms. 